Well, uh, almost exactly one year after the start of COVID-19, the film Nomadland won the Best Picture Award at uh, the Oscars. And it tells the story of one woman's journey across America. It's a journey that takes place um, after the death of her husband. And it really illustrates her, her search for somewhere to belong. And maybe it was because... Uh, The judges had spent the majority of the previous year stuck at home because of COVID, uh, that they found her story so memorable. Or maybe it was just that all of us long for home. And the Bible teaches that ever since Genesis chapter 3, human beings have lived east of Eden. All of us are nomads. We are refugees. We are searching for a homeland. And this longing is one of the deepest longings of the human heart. But the wonderful news this morning is that God's word to us today, this chapter in Revelation, it tells us that one day that longing will be satisfied. One day for every Christian, all that we've lost will be found. This passage, it's a beautiful vision of that future. Now, today's uh, Remembrance Sunday. Um, It's a day we look back, isn't it? But what I want us to do this morning, I want us to remember the future. That's the phrase I've had in my mind this week, remember the future. And I want to kind of just hold it up before your eyes this morning and uh, leave it with you. Whatever is going on in your life, whatever you're facing, whatever is happening inside of you, this passage this morning is for you. It's a vision of the future, a vision for Christians who often feel like nomads. Four things I want to pull out. There's so much uh, in this chapter, isn't there? But the first thing I want us to see is our future, according to God's Word this morning, our future is physical. Look at verse 1. John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down, coming down out of heaven from God. Now, people have all kinds of ideas about what eternity or life after death might be like, don't they? It's often a kind of cartoon image floating around on clouds playing the harp or some other instrument. Well, look at what John says. John says that a city, John says a city, not a cloud, is our goal. Our ultimate hope is not to go up to heaven. No, one day heaven is going to come down to earth. And back in Revelation chapter 1, one of the titles that Jesus is given is firstborn from among the dead. In other parts of the New Testament, he's called the first fruits. And the whole point of that language is that it means there's more to come. When Jesus rose from the grave, it changed everything. He didn't rise as a spirit. No, wonderfully, he rose with a physical body. And the Bible teaches that the same will be true for us and the same will be true for 
this whole world. Paul says creation groans. Um, I used to take uh, the London Underground every day. And uh, the place where I lived was on the Piccadilly Line. Northfield Station is where I used to uh, get off. Uh, But that uh, line, it ran all the way through Northfield, through all these other places, right the way to Heathrow. And I think sometimes we uh, can think of eternity, heaven, and so on like that. We can We often use the word heaven to mean eternity with God. It's where we'll go if we trust in Christ, if we die before he returns. It's a a great comfort to know that. It's a great comfort to know that people we love who've trusted in Jesus are there with him now. But it is not the final destination. Instead, the the consistent teaching of the New Testament is that one day Jesus will come again to this world. He will judge the living and the dead. And when he does, he will usher in a new creation. And in that world, we will live in resurrection bodies. We won't float around like spirits. See, the commentators, they tell us that when John sees a new heaven and a new earth, the word used, it's best translated renewed. And we can see this in the text in verse 5. The one who's seated on the throne says, behold, I am making all things new. He doesn't say, I am making all new things. No, matter matters to God. God never makes junk. God cares about this world that he has made, and one day it will be renewed. One day, heaven and earth will kiss, and there will be a new creation. Now, maybe this morning, um, some of you are thinking, what about a passage? What about a passage like 2 Peter 3? And maybe you're not thinking about 2 Peter 3 this morning, that's fine. But if you are, then listen to what Peter says in verse 10 of that chapter. He says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Doesn't that seem to kind of contradict this chapter, Revelation 21? Well, no. What we need to realize in... The context of that chapter, 2 Peter 3, is that as he speaks about God's judgment, Peter has in mind a past judgment. That past judgment is the flood. He mentions it in verse 7 of that chapter. And what happened at the flood? Well, judgment came, didn't it? But then what happened? The waters subsided. The earth was still here. It was renewed. The same is true of the new creation. It will be purification, not total obliteration. See, we use this uh, language. We use this word new in different ways, don't we? we? We meet a man who has just got a new job. Or he's just become a father. What do we say about him? We say he's a new man. He's still the same man. But we all know what we mean, don't we? He's been renewed. 
and so it will be at the end of time. The new creation will be physical. It will be more real than this. How could it not be if Jesus is in a resurrection body? Friends, the new creation, it will be a place where we hug and dance and run and sing. It will be a garden city. There will be a river. There will be trees. There will be fruit. There will be so much to enjoy. C.S. Lewis captured it so well. The new Narnia was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. The reason we loved the old Narnia is that sometimes it looked a little like this. We are in the shadowlands. This world is, we are right now in the shadowlands. But something even more real, something even more solid, even more wonderful is on its way. Now this fact, the fact that we have a physical future, this would have been so important to John's first hearers. They were facing opposition And they needed to know that it was worth being a Christian. They needed to know that when they lost family and homes because of the gospel, it wasn't the end of the story. The same is true for us. We need this vision. Maybe we'll need it more in the years to come. Maybe if opposition increases to Jesus, to the church, it will make us long more for this chapter. Friends, life's not always easy as a Christian, is it? Maybe today you're someone who always has felt that you don't quite belong. You don't really have a true home. You, you feel out of place. Well, God has a place for you. God has a place for you, a true, physical, wonderful home. If your trust is Jesus, you can have total confidence that one day you will be there. It's physical. There's a second thing, though. It's pure. It's a holy city. It's pure. Uh, Down the centuries, people have um, tried to establish uh, utopian societies, haven't they? There have been all kinds of um, communes and cults. And no one has ever succeeded because of sin. Sin that spoils our relationship with God, with creation, with one another, even impacts our view of ourselves. And if it is not dealt with, well, there can be no no future like this. The previous chapters of Revelation, they have been all about this. Satan and all who follow him have been thrown down. They've been tormented forever. Sin has been dealt with once and for all. There can only be peace. There can only be a heavenly vision like this because of all of these things. But sometimes human beings believe the opposite, don't they? We think we can build utopia. We think we can build heaven on earth. Um, A few years ago in his sermon at uh, the wedding of Harry and Meghan, the Reverend uh, Michael Curry, he, he spoke of the power of love. And in many ways, it was a very strong, powerful message, wasn't it? But 
it wasn't enough. Because at the close of that sermon, he said that our love, our love will be the thing that makes of this old world a new world. Our love. But it can't. To think like that is to miss the the depth of our predicament. Only Jesus can do that. Only his sacrificial love. Only his return. I think we see as well the purity of this city and the precious stones. Um, I had trouble seeing all those uh, different stones' names. But you can see just uh, how beautiful this image is, this vision is. It's foundations, the foundations of this city, they're made of valuable gems, verse 19, even the foundations. And even the measuring rod used to, to mark it all out, it's made of gold, verse 15. Um, its gates are pearls, its streets are like glass. And the numbers, 12, 144, 12,000, they're, they're numbers of wholeness, of perfection. Above all, it's a holy place. And um, its cube-like shape is a, is a pointer to the holy of holies in the tabernacle. It's like that, but bigger. And so, friends, what we're seeing here is this future that God has in store for us, it will be perfect. It will be pure. It will be holy. And on the 6th of July, 2005, the city of London was awarded the Olympics, and it was a, a day of amazing celebration. All the athletes and the fans and the people who lived in that city, they were just uh, thrilled at the thought of a home Olympics. Maybe you can remember that one of that city's happiest days, well, it was immediately followed by one of its worst. Just 24 hours later, the 7-7 bombings, they, they rocked the capital. And it was such a contrast. You had a day of celebration and a day of devastation side by side. It was a reminder that evil and sin are, are realities in this world. But in this vision, we see there will be no crime in this city. Its gates will never be shut, verse 25. In other words, it will be totally secure. No threats will come to it. Nothing will be ever, ever able to bring it down. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, verse 25. Nor will anyone who does what is detestable or false. I think when you and I hear words like that, or some of the other language in this um, chapter, we can be very aware of our own sin this morning, can't we? All of us have done things that are shameful, that are impure. Maybe this morning you feel especially conscious of that. But friends, we can still have confidence because Luke, who is right in the heart of the city. Verse 23, the Lamb. The Lamb. 
And friends, this morning, the people who are in the Lamb's book of life, who are those people? They are people who have run to the Lamb for mercy. They are not people that are especially good. They are people who know that they don't deserve to go to this place, to be in this city. And if the spirit of Babel, the spirit of that great human city was pride, the spirit of God's city is humility. Friends, our wonderful home, this beautiful vision, it will be a a place where there's no more curse because Jesus took it all. So our future is physical, our future is pure, but there's a third thing. Our future is permanent, permanent. I think it's um, another of our kind of heart longings as human beings to, to build something that lasts. We, we love to build, don't we? Families, companies, businesses, they're all really good things, aren't they? But God has built something for us too. There's a, a real sense in this chapter that it's a new age. The old has gone, the new has come. Look at the, the, the things God says will be gone for good. God says there will be no more death. There'll be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. There'll be no more temple. There'll be no more night. There'll be no more sea. It's hard to imagine life without these things. Now, if you love the beach, uh, don't worry, some uh, commentators I think that uh, what's going on here is that uh, John is, well, in the Old Testament, uh, the sea was the place of evil and chaos, wasn't it? Uh, The sea separates people. If you've got family living in America, you are separated from them by a sea, aren't you? Maybe that's what John means here, that one day these things will be over. But if there is no sea, there will be something better. And twice in this passage, we're told there will be no more night. And you see that, verse 25, chapter 5 of verse 22. No more night. I think this is a really wonderful news, isn't it? Isn't a night, isn't night time? Isn't it the time we feel so often, so alone. The hours can tick by, can't they? It seems like morning will never come. Night is the time when terrible things are often done. But one day all of that will be gone. I think I've used this illustration before. I used to work with students in in Aberdeen for UCCF, and um, every year we'd all, all of us who worked for UCCF, we'd gather together for a conference. Uh, It was in January, and there's uh, one morning uh, that stands out to me. It was half nine in the morning. It was a a frosty, beautiful uh, January morning. We were all uh, gathered in in a big room like this, but all the curtains were shut. And then our boss, Richard Cunningham, he came into the room and he, he opened all the curtains. 
He went around just flinging them wide open. It was morning. He took great joy in doing that. Our future is like that. One day the world we live in, it will be flooded with God's light. You see, look at verse 22. I saw no temple in the city. I saw no temple, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Friends, one day we will be home. We will be here. There will be no need for us to leave. We will never want to leave. There will be no more problems. There will be no more sickness. No more fear, no more misunderstandings, no more emotional distress, no more disappointment, none of that anymore but light and God and us with God forever. Friends, this is our future. It's physical, it's pure, it's permanent. But there's even more here. It is personal. See, what John sees, I think, in this chapter, it's so amazing. He has to kind of mix his metaphors. One minute he's talking about a garden, and then he's talking about a city, and then he's talking about a wedding. Back in uh, verse 2, he sees a bride beautifully adorned for her husband. He hears a loud voice from the throne. And then he hears the, the, what we might call the covenant promise. Behold, the dwelling of God is with man. This is the fulfillment of it all. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. I said um, earlier that home and impermanence, they're two of the, the deep longings of our hearts, aren't they? But so is the longing for love. And to be known, to be respected by someone else, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing. And John's vision makes clear that this longing that we often have, it will be fully, it will be finally met by God himself. And I think it's very easy for us, even if we've been Christians for a while, to sort of be tempted to think that God is distant for all kinds of reasons. We can fear that he's not really that interested in us. He doesn't really care about us. The devil loves to trick us. The devil loves to tell us that. And yet, what is the whole Bible? The whole Bible is a love story, isn't it? It begins with a wedding. It ends with a wedding. And all our romance, all the great films, the songs, the plays about love, they are, they are little echoes of that ultimate reality. Jesus loves his church. He loves to be close to her. And one day we'll be fully united. It's what we celebrate at Christmas, isn't it? And John says, one day you and I, we will have face-to-face -face fellowship with 
God. We'll be that close to him. This is what um, theologians have called the beatific vision. It's what we were made to have. Instead of hiding from God, well, we'll finally be back where we belong. And the voice from the throne, it makes clear that something beautiful will happen on that day. God himself will come and God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. You know, I've sometimes wondered, why will we be crying when we're there? Maybe it will be because of suffering we've gone through and we're just uh, so glad is over. Maybe it will be because of memory of our sins and the fact that we're amazed that they really are forgiven. Or maybe it will be because the person we are looking at in that moment and the place where we are will be so beautiful, so beautiful that we will be overcome with emotion. God will wipe away those tears when they flow. He will be that close to us. I've never forgotten somebody once really communicating this in a sermon. He said, how many people in your life are allowed to wipe away your tears? How many people could you do that with? The number is, the number is very small, isn't it? In our whole lives. And yet that's how close, that is how close God wants to be to his people. That is how close he will be to you, to me. But how is all of that possible? How can it be? Well, I think the answer is found in some other tears. Back in chapter five of this book, Maybe you remember John saw a scroll, didn't he? It symbolized God's purposes. But there was a big problem, wasn't there? There was no one who was worthy to open that scroll. There was a great search. No one could be found. What did John do? He wept. And what did John then hear? He heard these words, weep. No more, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered the lamb standing as though he'd been slain. Friends, all our sin, all our tears, all of this can be wiped away because of Jesus. That's how God is able to come so close to us. That's what God wants for us, all our regrets, all our sadness matters to him. Our sin, because of Jesus, has been dealt with. And because of what he's done, we, one day, friends, we will come home. The gates to this great city, they're open. North, south, east and west. Jesus stands, he calls, he says, come, come in to this city. One day we will get there. One day we will arrive. One day we will come to the end. But the end, well, it will just be the beginning.
Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that on that day when we are finally at home with you, we will no doubt say, this is the land I have been looking for all my life. I've come home at last. This is my real country. How we thank you for the wonderful hope you've given us. And if our hearts are breaking this morning, press this hope home to us, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to um, finish our service by singing <clears throat> from Psalm 16, the second half. It's great resurrection, uh, Sam. And Alistair is going to lead us again. Before me constantly I set the Lord alone. Because he is at my right hand, I'll not be overthrown. Let's stand and praise God together. Thank you.